Hey there, and welcome to the Refuge Podcast. We're a podcast of Crossroads Community Church here in Nampa, Idaho. And here at the church, we believe in being a place of refuge, transformation, and partnership with God. My name is Charlie, and I'm a pastor here at the church. And my name is Kent, and I'm a partner here at the church as well. That's right. We got Kent Delhuse, who actually got to speak to us this Sunday, and we're really excited to have you back and able to do a, a full sermon this time. Mm-hmm. Pastor Jim asked you to kind of talk about the New Testament uh, witness, Martus. And so, uh, but talk to us about what it is you do, you know, how you met Jim was through this LTI, mm-hmm. um, and, the, your growth junkies podcast, but yeah, talk to us a little bit about what you do. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. I, um, well, I, I do a couple things. Um, I run a nonprofit organization called the love and transformation Institute. And this, the short story behind that is that, um, we find creative ways to bring God's love to bear on the culture. So we do events, we do conferences, we do resources, we do a podcast called the Growth Junkies Podcast. And that's where we talk about all these areas about uh, God's love and how it impacts character and how we grow and develop as people. And so we talk about a lot of things that we don't normally talk about, things like um, um, anxiety and things like uh, truth and things like relationships and goals and I mean all these areas that we need to talk about that are part of developing as a human being. So sort of the other stuff, you know, not yeah. just the typical topics. And you know, it's funny before this we were talking about, I didn't know this, you were trained as a journalist, which yeah. now that I think about listening to a couple of your podcasts, it makes sense to me. You yeah. really like to bring in a lot of different information and a lot of different ways, like the anxiety podcast mm-hmm. I listened to. And I thought it was really cool the way that you attacked it. And it makes sense now. But also, you ended up being a pastor um, and then, you know, really felt burnout there, which led you to start this new thing, which I think is really cool that God has you doing. Mm-hmm. But what's it been like going from being a pastor mm. to suddenly being a partner, being an attender at yeah. a church? What's that been like? Yeah, it's a bit weird. Uh, honestly, I, I was a pastor for um, over 20 years. And I sat in the senior role and had a staff and a church that I ran, and um, I, I got burned out. Ultimately, I got burned out, and I left ministry, um, not because of anything really, really bad. I just fell into depression and burnout, and I needed to take a break. It took me about a good two years to get healthy, and, and we ended up moving from our old location in Phoenix, Arizona, to Boise, Idaho here. And that's a whole nother story, but we settled in here and just, we felt like it was the place God wanted us to go to get healthy and kind of start fresh. Mm-hmm. So um, one thing about coming to Crossroads that's unique is we have never had the chance to choose our church before. Mm-hmm. We'd always been assigned to a church. In other words, when I took a position, you know, it's kind of like you go on staff and then you fall in love with the well, church. And you were a pastor's kid, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, m- I remember hearing that on so Sunday I literally and I was like, oh, never so got to choose my church. <laughs> I was, yeah. I, was, I was literally assigned to church my entire yeah. life until this one. Hmm. So when we got to Boise, we were in a position we had never been in before, which is we got to look for a church, hmm. you know, the proverbial church shopping, which is always thought was funny because I never had a chance to do that. So we started kind of bouncing around, checking out different churches, and then our neighbors across the street invited us to this church called Crossroads. And it happened to be all the way over in Nampa, but we wanted to check it out because we were coming up kind of empty. So we came over and instantly connected yeah. with the spirit of the church, uh, the heart. We loved the worship. We loved the teaching, loved the leadership, and felt like it was home. And so we actually have been here for over a year worshiping at Crossroads. And this is sort of a backdoor way of getting into a church relationship where you come first as an attender, and then you've been sitting there just kind of um, marinating and being fed. And then you kind of meet the pastors and get to know people. Jim and I became friends, just started having lunch, having coffee, uh, was able to encourage him at times when he was a bit down. Having been a former pastor, I kind of understood, you know, the things he's dealing with. So uh, it was kind of neat to see that progression and relationship develop to the point where he invited me last fall to get up and tell my story, to do a kind of a co-message with him. And uh, that was a great experience, enjoyed doing it, felt really good about it. Um, And then that led to him ultimately inviting me to do a whole sermon uh, this past Sunday, which, you know, is a big step of faith for a guy to let another guy come in and get to share. The good news is I already had a a sense of a relationship with the church, having been here for a year, uh, already being connected, already having relationships, already knowing Jim so well. So it's been a really natural way to get connected to a church. And actually, I got to say, it's almost ideal Yeah. to get to be in a church and sort of, you know, come up from the inside, so to speak, is really yeah. a cool thing. And so it's my yeah. first time doing that. 
Well, also, I think Jim, I've just sensed in Jim that kinship with you. It's not a surprise to me that you came to Crossroads and found a connection just having mm-hmm. a pastor. You and Jim have a similar story. That's right. And uh, while he went back into being a pastor, and I would say calling what you do not pastoral seems silly because I think you really are pastoral in what you do. Yeah. But to me, it's cool that you're able to still exercise that gifting you have to speak but also you're doing something different that other people aren't doing yeah. through LTI and through your podcast. So right. we're excited to have you this week. Um, we're going to give you guys a chance to listen to Kent's message, and then we'll get together and talk about it. Today, um, I, I asked a friend of mine, uh, Kent Del Huse, he, he shared a sermon with me back in the fall, and um, we're talking about this whole idea of, of, of witness. And as I asked him, Kent, could you kind of, Bring that New Testament part, the, the word, the second word. We, we've been talking about oud, but could you bring that word martus and, and sort of explain that? He's been a pastor for many years, and they've been attending Crossroads for about a year now, living up here in Boise, and been a good friend to me. And actually, i got to say, I've been a pastor to me as well. So I asked him if he could share it to this morning. So Kent, why don't you just come on up? Thanks. Thanks, Jim. Well, no pressure or anything, right? <laughs> Well, good morning, Crossroads. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, Yeah, I've been asked to come and talk with you about uh, this word martus. And so we're doing this series called Witness. And I just want to point out real quick that there's a word above witness and a word below. And they should look like like Sanskrit to most of you, right? So the top one is Hebrew. And it's the word aid, and it means witness. And the one on the bottom is martus. So a little P-looking letter is actually pronounced like an R. So martus is the Greek word for witness, and it's a word that occurs throughout the New Testament, and so Pastor Jim asked for me to come and to talk about uh, what it means to be a martus, and how do we give a, what's called martoreo, a witness. So we're going to do those two things this morning. We're going to talk about what it is to be a witness, and then secondly, how do we bear witness, And so we're not going to spend time in one particular passage here today, but we're going to march through a few different uh, references, and hopefully it'll be helpful to you. So keep your Bibles handy. First, I want to talk to you about uh, what a witness is. What is a witness? And by now, you probably have a decent idea, because Pastor Jim has been walking us through this, and Jeff and Beth last week. But we're going to sort of round it out today and dig a little bit deeper into just the simple definition of the word for witness. Uh, The word is, as I mentioned, martus. Martus. It means one who testifies. One who testifies. And the natural question would be, well, testifies to what? What are you testifying to? And the answer is simply to something you have seen or heard. Something you have experienced. A witness is somebody who has seen something happen, who has watched something go down, has knowledge of the situation, a unique perspective, but just seeing something or experiencing something does not really make someone a witness. Two more things have to happen for someone to be a witness. They have to also be willing to talk about what happened. Not just having seen it, but being willing to talk about what has occurred. And then third, and most importantly, they got to tell the truth about what happened. You know how that works, right? Put your hand on the Bible. Nothing but the truth. All the truth. So help me, God. So witnesses have to do a few things. Not only witness something, but they have to be willing to talk about what they've seen, and they got to tell the truth about it. And the fact is that is a weighty, heavy, sometimes risky and costly responsibility, isn't it? That's why we have things like witness protection programs and something called the silent witness. Have you heard the term silent witness before? Now, I'm from Phoenix, Arizona. We moved here a couple years ago, and as Pastor Jim mentioned, we love being up here in Boise. Before that, we lived in Phoenix, and in Phoenix, they had what's called a silent witness hotline. And so this is a hotline that you could call if you wanted to talk about something you had seen or heard, something you had experienced, and you could call it in anonymously, in other words, safely, and no one would know who did it. I think here it's called Crime Stoppers in Idaho, right? Okay, so every state has its own name, but the concept of silent witness is interesting. My wife and I were um, 
back in Phoenix a few years ago, and there was this thing happening around the city called the serial shooter. And maybe you heard about it in the news. It was kind of a national story, but we had a serial shooter on the loose in Phoenix. And this individual was going around and shooting people from his car, and many had actually been killed, and everyone was on edge. Everyone was terrified about this serial shooter, and so they kept running stories in the news and urging people to call the silent witness if you have seen or heard anything. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been called as a witness before or ever called the hotline before, but it's an interesting experience. My wife and I had that experience. We were driving down the road one day, and we got a flat tire. And uh, the insurance company sent out somebody to change the tire, and this guy rolls up. And I, I kid you not, he looked exactly like the profile on TV. To the T, the hair, the eyes, the face, the age. I mean, everything looked like just what we saw on TV. And then my wife and I kind of looked at each other like, well, that's interesting. And he rolled up in a car that matched the description of the vehicle that was spotted. And he had an out-of-state license plate. And so Steph and I are, are huddled in the car, kind of like, you know, what do we do? Like, what do we do? I think this guy looks like the serial shooter. Do we call it in? Do we not call it in? Remember, honey, there was a reward. <laughs> well, we got to call it in then. <laughs> Excuse me. So we, uh, we ended up going home and calling the number and uh, talked to the person on the other side of the line and asked us what we had seen and heard and explained to them that we had found the serial shooter. This, this is the guy. We met him. He works for this company. And he came to change our tire. And he's, you've got to go get him before anybody else gets hurt. Well, turns out it wasn't the right guy. So like a month later, they found the real guy, brought him in. And uh, it was not the guy that we had seen. So I felt horrible. We felt horrible. Oh, this poor guy probably had cops come to his door or to his place of work. Probably peed his pants, you know. <laughs> I didn't. I felt bad about that thing. I didn't want to do that. But I felt like I was fulfilling my responsibility. And the thing I remember most about it was the fact that we called the silent witness. And the reason we called the silent witness was because we could stay anonymous. There was something safe about that. Something comforting about knowing that if we call this line, it ends up being the bad guy. That bad guy won't know it was us. So therefore, there's no repercussions. There's no retaliation. We're going to be okay. So that was very comforting. But if you apply that to our faith, and you ask the question, well, if Jesus has called us to be his witnesses, is there a silent witness protection program for him as well? Can I not have to tell my neighbor about Jesus? And instead, call somebody who will do it for me anonymously. If I share my faith with my coworker and uh, they don't like what I have to say and they threaten me, can I move into a protection program somewhere? And the answer is no. In the body of Christ, in the family of God, there is no such thing as a witness protection program and there is no such thing as a silent witness. You see, here's the thing about our faith here's the thing about being a witness for Jesus. Your decision to come to Jesus Christ in faith is entirely private. But from that point forward, it is anything but private. It is public. You are commissioned to tell others about what happened to you, about the Lord who saved you. That is what it means to be a witness. And it is risky, it is dangerous, and there are consequences. You see, the word martyr that we have in English comes from the word martus, and that word literally means someone who goes to the very ends and is willing to die for sharing their faith. You want to purify a church real quick? Find out who's willing to die for sharing their faith. You're going to find out who's really serious about following Jesus, who's really serious about being a witness for him, because it is terrifying. There are organizations that have established that Christianity is the most persecuted faith around the world today. 100,000 Christians die every year for their faith. Do you know that since Jesus was here, it's estimated that 70 million Christians have died for their faith? 
70 million martyrs. So this is serious stuff. There is a risk involved. There is a possible cost attached to sharing our faith, but we still have to do it. And thankfully, we live in a country in which we don't have to fear anything more perhaps than ridicule or rejection or mockery. We live in a free society where we are protected and allowed to talk about our faith. But we are not off the hook, friends. God has called us to be his witnesses. And witnesses, well, they testify to what they have seen and heard. They talk about it. And they don't do it quietly. So this morning, I want to talk briefly about three kinds of biblical witnesses. In the Bible, there are three kinds of witnesses, and none of them are quiet. None of them are silent. The first is the one you probably think of first, which is a legal witness. A legal witness is just that, somebody who testifies in a court of law. Then there is the historical witness. This is somebody who testifies to an event or an experience that they have seen. And then finally, there's the ethical witness. And this is the man or woman who has actually seen or heard something and is willing to talk about it at great peril. Someone who's willing to talk about what they have seen out of conviction. So first, the legal witness. In Matthew 18, Jesus said, take one or two others with you. Go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. So Jesus was talking here about the legal witness. There was, an, there was an Old Testament law that in the court system, in a justice system, in order to verify or substantiate an event, there had to be at least two or three witnesses to agree. And it was no different in the days of Jesus. So Jesus makes reference to this. We have another reference in 1 Timothy chapter 5 where Paul, writing to his protege, says, Do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it is confirmed by two or three witnesses. So all of that is designed to protect people against lies and false accusations. And so there is a legal witness that we see throughout the New Testament who have been called to testify to something in a court of law. But then there's another kind of witness called the historical witness. The historical witness is talked about in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Well, Paul writes, fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many, do you see it? Witnesses, martus. Another reference is Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 where the author wrote, we are surrounded by a huge cloud of witnesses, martus. These are the historical witnesses. You know who these people are? The 70 million who have died before us. And you know what they're doing? They are cheering us on. They are rallying around, calling us to live like they did, to risk it all to talk about Jesus just like they did, to say what they say, to go where they went, to do what they did. Now, the Bible's over here. I'm going to stand over here for a second because I'm going to do some sanctified speculation. But in these two verses, what we read is that there are historical witnesses who have died and gone before us who are interested in what's going on right now. Who are somehow aware that you and I are in the spiritual battle. We're engaged in the great commission in this day, in this age, and somehow they know about it, and somehow they're polling for us and cheering for us like a stadium full of fans. Imagine 70 million fans cheering for you to share your faith. Imagine that. You can do it. 70 million strong. That's an amazing thing. So you and I are called to, to do something about this, to receive this charge and this challenge and this commission and to honor our legacy and to act like these historical witnesses around us. Now, I don't know if that means grandma's up in the sky saying, you go, Kent, you go, Kent. I like to believe that she is. That she's interested in the season of what I'm doing here. But I know at the very least, among the saints in the kingdom of heaven, they are rooting for us. And someday we will join them and root for those who come after us. But finally, and for our purposes here this morning, we're going to talk about the ethical witness. In Luke chapter 24, it says, It was written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. 
you are, see it, witnesses of all these things. What are you witnesses to? The gospel. The news about the forgiveness of sins for all who repent. This is the person, the man or the woman, who's called by God to go out and talk about it at great risk, out of deep conviction. In Acts chapter 1, we see the second half of the Great Commission, where Jesus reiterates what he said in Matthew 28. Hey, everybody, before I leave and go back to heaven, I got something to tell you. You will be my witnesses, martus, telling people about me everywhere. So just to make it really clear, this is the Great Commission. This is our job. This is what we're called to do, to be his ethical witnesses who with conviction are willing to talk about what we have seen and heard and to tell the truth, which is the gospel. Now, what do all three of these witnesses have in common? Here's the key. All three of them bear witness to something, a crime, an event, or an experience. And I want to zero in on that word experience because that's where we have commonality with those who have gone before us. We weren't there to see the crime when Jesus was crucified. We don't get to be that firsthand eyewitness. We have people who wrote about it for us and put it in the Bible, gave it to us. We don't get to join the historical witnesses until we die and we enter into the kingdom and then we're cheering for people who are left here. But we do enter into the experience of the ethical witness. All those who during their life on earth testified to Jesus Christ while they lived. That's something we have common experience with because we also have an experience with Christ. We also have an encounter with Him. We also know Him personally. Not in the same way that John and Mark and Matthew and others did who got to walk with Him and eat with Him and sleep around Him. I, I envy those folks who got to do that. But Jesus Himself said, blessed are those who haven't seen and still believe which suggests that Jesus would reveal himself to us just as powerfully as he'd reveal himself to his disciples. We also have the same Holy Spirit, by the way. The same empowerment that they had. So what does it mean to bear witness? If we also bear witness, what does it look like to bear witness to the truth? Well, the word is martoreo, which is a, it's related to martus. Martoreo means to give one's testimony. So here's the thing you need to know about the word witness. You are one and you have one. You follow? You are a witness and you have a witness. It is a bit unique. In the Greek, there's two different words that are used to communicate that. But a witness is a person and a witness is a story. It is a telling a witness is something we give. So in this case, what we give or what we bear to is the witness of Jesus Christ. So we have a testimony. There's a great example of a testimony in 1 John chapter 1. If the words are too small, you can follow along in your Bible. But I want you to notice something. In John's testimony in 1 John, he lays out his own experience. This is his testimony here. And here's what he writes. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He's the word of life. This one who life itself was revealed to us. And we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to see in that testimony. Two things. First, notice the underlying words. How much John says he's seen and heard. We have seen and we have heard, we have experienced the one true God, Jesus Christ, and we know He is real. The whole opening of his letter is all about his own experience with Jesus. But notice something else about this testimony. Nothing in here is about John. Nothing in here talks about how messed up John was before Jesus came into his life and changed him. Just notice that. I want you to notice that. It's really important. 
We have a biblical example of the testimony that John is giving. And the funny thing is it's the same testimony all the other disciples could give. They all could give that testimony. All those eyewitnesses could say the same thing. There are no details about John's life, which I think is really critical because here's the thing. We have a testimony too. But this is where we get our wires crossed. When it comes to giving a testimony, we often feel pressured and compelled to come up with a really juicy story, don't we? I don't know about you, but I was really groomed and trained in a world in which a testimony was about you writing down how awful your life was before Jesus and then how Jesus came into your life and you need to mention that and then all about how your life is so different now. The before and the after and that little thing in the middle, which is life change. Have you been trained this way? I, I grew up in this and I, and I felt a lot of pressure because I grew up in a pastor's home and I just got to be honest with you. I was kind of the good kid. <laughs> I, I kind of made my brother, well, not so much. He was the ungood kid. <laughs> but I was the good one. I never strayed too far away from home. And so I got to tell you, as I became a teenager and got older, I started thinking, man, I got to go out and work on my testimony a little bit. <laughs> this is no good. Working on my testimony. And I found myself getting envious of my friends who were doing a lot of dumb stuff and saying, they're working on my testimony. But I chose not to do that. And I started getting what I call, maybe you can relate to this, testimony envy. Anybody relate to testimony envy? I don't have a very good testimony. Hey, Chuck, you give yours. It's really bad. No, 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 I don't want to give my testimony. It's really boring. It just has a bunch of boring stuff. I didn't do a whole lot. Oh, I could really stretch and say, you know, yeah, when I was 12 years old, I, I said a bad word, and, you know, I hurt my brother and sister with those words, and, and then Jesus changed my life. <laughs> yeah, if you were going to be like, well, that's the big deal. That's pretty boring. Sit down. Somebody else want to talk? So we, we have this, like, consummate comparison thing going on about my testimony versus your testimony. They aren't bragamonies, right? They're testimonies. And here's the thing. Not one of us has a better testimony than the next. Because we all have the same testimony. We all have John's testimony. Because it's not about us, folks. You, you have a story and you have a testimony. Your story is your story which is what happened to you and how you've been changed and how life is different now. And you've got to tell that story, absolutely, but that is not your testimony. Your testimony is the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's where the power is. And I'll just tell you, no matter how gory the details in your past story, that isn't what changes people. And even talking about how good your life is now or what God has done in your life now, that's not going to change people. You know what's going to change people? That little part in the middle. Jesus died for my sins. Amen. That is the testimony. And we have experienced that. If I were to have you all raise your hands, I'd ask you, how many of you had a personal encounter with Christ? A life-changing, transforming encounter. Go ahead. Put it up. I want to see. Well, we're in church. That doesn't look too good. You want to try it again? How many of you have had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ? <laughs> okay. I, that's a lot of us. You have what John had. You have the same experience. Yeah, you're living 2,000 years later, but the same Lord is the Lord of your life. The same Spirit of God indwells you. And you have the same story to tell, which is His story, not yours. Our testimony is the same life-changing encounter with Jesus. So let's not have this envy, and let's not be afraid to talk about somebody else. Let's talk about Christ. Let's demystify this concept of giving a testimony. All it really is is talking about Christ. So what is a testimony? A testimony, pure and simple, is a story, a true story that we all tell about Jesus. It is a true story, and truth is important. We talked about this. Witnesses, they have to have seen something. They have to be willing to talk about it, and it has to be true. 
And we've been handed down the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We call it the gospel because it's the gospel of truth. Jesus really came. Jesus really died. Jesus really rose from the dead. And by believing in him, our sins are forgiven. That's gospel. That's gospel. And if you know that, you know enough. The gospel is also uh, interpreted as good news. Literally means good message in Matthew 24. Jesus said the good news, the euangelion about the kingdom will be preached, will be witnessed, pronounced throughout the whole world as a, do you see it? Testimony, martyrion to all nations. The good news is about Jesus, not about us. It's about Jesus. That's the testimony. And that'll be witnessed all around the world to all people everywhere. And what is the good news? Jesus saves. You want to boil it down? Jesus. Jesus is the good news. So when you share your faith with other people and you give your testimony, quite honestly, I'll make it really easy for you. Jesus. You want to hear my testimony? Jesus. Doesn't have to be all that complicated. But I will encourage you to do something. If you're going to go share your faith, you might want to add on a few more words because they might think you're cussing, okay? <laughs> you might actually want to say, Jesus saves. If you want to take it a little bit deeper, you say, Jesus saves me from my sins. And if you want to go even further, Jesus can save you from your sins too. That's the testimony. So friends, this is not complicated. It shouldn't be super intimidating. It could be costly. To be a witness is simply to tell the true story about the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. That is our witness. To bear witness is to bear faithful testimony to Christ. See, here's the key. If it comes down to it, you only have one major responsibility, and that is to tell it and to do it faithfully. If there's one thing you want to hear when you die and you stand before Jesus, you want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And the question is, faithful to what? Faithful to this. Faithful to this. Faithful to tell other people the good news about Jesus Christ. And we know this because the word martus evolves in the New Testament. From the Gospels, it means simply to talk about Jesus. And by revelation, it means to die for that testimony. And today, we hear the word martyr, and we think about the cost. And these folks, the 70 million plus who have passed before us and died for daring to tell the truth about Jesus Christ, and the 100,000 who die around the world every year for telling people about Jesus. You want to know why they do it? Because they want to be found faithful. Faithful witnesses. We want to be faithful like these folks. In Revelation 6, 9, when the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being, do you see it? Faithful to the testimony. The testimony, which is the word of God, Christ. Simply faithful to tell others about Jesus. To say Jesus saves. Revelation 20, verse 4. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony, their martyreo, about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God, proclaiming Christ, who is the word. Do you see it? Are you tracking with me here? Your faithfulness is conditioned upon one central thing, and that is your courage and willingness to talk about what you've seen and tell the truth. To tell your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, your family, even at great risk, who Jesus is and what he has done. That's our testimony. So how? How can we be faithful? I want to wrap up on this. How can we be faithful to our testimony? I want to give you three action steps. First, learn to explain the gospel. Which isn't all that hard after what I shared with you today. Jesus saves. Can you do that? The answer is yes. <laughs> and if you feel like you want to dig a little bit deeper, maybe add on to that. 
Jesus saves us from our sins. He did it by dying on the cross. God's provision to cover our sin because we can't do it for ourselves. So we can be forgiven and live forever with him. And that is available everywhere and to everyone. Learn to do that. Just practice that. Just rehearse it. Practice with your friends and your family. But are you able to just voice that simple truth? And if you can't, work on it. Practice it. Develop it. Have the ability just to explain the gospel. This is biblical, by the way. In 1 Peter 3.15, we are told, if someone asks you about the hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. We're supposed to do this. It's how we're faithful. Secondly, lean on the Holy Spirit. Lean on the Holy Spirit. Here's the good news. You're not doing the talking anyway. These aren't your ideas. It's not your personal truth. It's God's truth who is Christ. And all you got to do is let the Spirit speak through you. The Spirit of God will give you the words. In fact, this is biblical. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus tells his disciples, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Do you see it? Let the Spirit of God speak through you. You ever had an experience where you talked about Christ and you kind of go, wow, that was pretty good. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> well, you know where it came from. The Holy Spirit. To, to not be so afraid and intimidated to open your mouth and talk about Jesus because God will give you the words. He will help you say what you're supposed to say. Don't be so scared of doing so. And then finally, leverage your opportunities. Don't miss them. I think it's fair to say that God gives us regular opportunities. Wouldn't you agree? Have you ever missed some of those and been like, if I just had the courage, I just missed a window. And so what the Bible says is that we are to seize the opportunities when they come. In Colossians 4, verse 5, it says, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. We are supposed to live this way and have these conversations. And when the opportunity presents itself, we're supposed to seize them like a big sale at the mall, ladies. It's literally what the language means. You find a sweater, it's on sale, and there's 14 of them. You buy all 14. Because it was a good deal. You get those offers all the time. God tees it up for you. You just got to knock it out. So be ready at all times, in and out of season, ready to tell people Jesus saves and let the Spirit of God do the work. That's it. And when you do that, you are being faithful. You are a faithful martus. Three, two, one. Good job, Kent. Yeah, it's not a surprise to me listening. Like, okay, this guy's maybe preached a couple sermons over. You know, you had a great, very easy to follow. Um, one thing I like to ask is, what's something that you wanted to put in the sermon? You know, for those who don't, haven't ever written a sermon or, or spoken, and mo many people have, there's stuff you want to say, mm -hmm. but it doesn't quite fit, or it's just kind of maybe that first thing that you really want to say, but you need to cut for time. What were some things you left on the cutting room floor? Yeah, yeah. You know, pressed for time is always a big issue, and I, I like to be in a position where I'd rather have too much to share than too little, so I don't have to stretch it. I need to squeeze it. So in this situation, you know, I, I feel like what's really meaningful to people is spending more time on my own story, you know, telling them more about my own experience with this, you know, and, and also um, I think resonating with my struggles with, with sharing my testimony, you know. And, and as the time went on, we did three services on Sunday. Um, I think that I adapted a little bit every time. But I, I would have spent more time, I think, if I had more time on my own struggles and, and acknowledging um, the excuses we put up and the struggles we have with sharing our faith um, because it is a bit terrifying. And I think for for a lot of us, um, and I, I touched on this on Sunday, but I would have spent more time on the idea that we, we, we look at our own quote-unquote testimonies 
and we say, well, mine is really boring and it's not really interesting enough, or mine's just so bad, I'm embarrassed to share it. And so that actually holds us back from telling our stories because we feel like, you know, I don't have enough good to share or what I have is too embarrassing to share. And so I, I, I love the idea that we can focus in on the message itself. The testimony itself really is Jesus. So it doesn't matter what your story is. It doesn't matter if you have a good background or a bad background. That's just color. But really that center part of our testimony is the most important thing. The other thing I would talk about is uh, when we talk about testimony being, you know, traditionally who you were and who you become, and then that little part in the middle is, you know, Jesus. And I, I, I think I would have really emphasized and spent more time on the idea that the testimony really is that center part, and it's not yeah. like this little hinge in the story. It right. is the story. Right. It is. And I, I think I said this on Sunday, but I would say it again, is it's not your testimony or my testimony. It is the testimony. Hmm. This is something that was handed down to us by our forefathers, or you know, those who have come before us and died for this message, which is the gospel, the good news, yeah. really is the entirety of the story. And so I think I would have said something more about your testimony really is just that center part. And, and your story is the before and the after, which is a whole different thing. As far as like tidbits and nuts and bolts, um, research... You know, I squeezed a lot in on Sunday. Yeah, I actually did get stuff. in most. Yeah. I would say 97% of the details I wanted to make sure I said, I said. Uh, one thing I didn't say in the, in the second two services was um, the ood. I, I wish I'd spent a little more time, you know, connecting the ood to martoreo, which is the testimony. Right. It is the story we tell about Jesus, the gospel. And so that would have really linked it up with all the previous messages where Jim was emphatic about the ood, which is the testimony, the story we tell not about us, but about Jesus. Yeah. I thought it was cool in, in light of that idea of your story and how it's hard, because I think we can sometimes have this idea of professional pastors that do the evangelizing for us, mm -hmm. that do the witnessing for us, right? We just have to get our friends to talk to our pastor and he'll witness. Right. Well, we're human as well, right? That's mm -hmm. scary for us as well. You know, hopefully we're as pastors talking about that, mm -hmm. but also it's not a professional pastor thing. So I thought you saying, you know, this is scary for me too. Right. And I felt that way about my story because I, I know growing up, but yeah, you wanted a cool testimony. And sometimes it was almost a one-upping game mm -hmm. of who could have the worst, yes. oh, the darkest, you know. <laughs> and in your, like, like you said, that's unimportant. Yeah. When you realize the main character of this story is Jesus, he can't just be this one little moment in the middle, That's and right. then my life got better. Right. Yeah, because then it's really all about me. I mean, here's the thing: we 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 find it easy to talk about ourselves. Hundred percent. It's yeah. it's so easy to talk about ourselves, and I think we've kind of fallen into that sort of like this mm. Western culture of, you know, yes, Jesus changed my life. Now let's talk more about me. Yeah. No, actually, there's no power. There's no life-changing power in your personal story. People yeah. can connect to those things. Yeah. They can identify with those things. That's and so good. there's a, there's value in telling your story, but life-changing, transforming power, there's only that mm. found in the actual testimony, the story of Jesus. What a great... Your sermon was a good example of that, because it, I remember a sermon a while ago where Jim asked somebody to say, hey, would you share your story when it comes to this topic? And that's where our story can matter, mm -hmm. especially as a preacher yeah. or as someone telling the story of Jesus to speak to someone who we connect with on our story. Yeah. And a lot of times, Jim, when he invites someone to do that in a sermon, it helps someone in the audience go, oh, I connect with that. Yes. So same the way when we're sharing our witness, part of our story can be useful. Yeah. Like if someone we know has is going through, their parents are getting divorced yeah. and our parents got divorced. Well, then, of course, we're going to bring that part of our story up and what Jesus did in that moment. Mm -hmm. But then, like you said, then we turn the camera back where it belongs yeah. on the one who can make the difference. Yes. That's a great point to say our story matters. Right. But it's not just story time with Charlie where he tells you the whole story of his life. Yeah. Right? I mean, the last time I spoke here before, that it was my story. Jim yeah. asked me to share my story, and it serves a purpose. 100%. You know, but I yeah. know what that was. It was my story. It was not my testimony. 
Because right. I actually don't have my own testimony. I have mm. a testimony that's been given to me, yeah. handed to me. It's in Scripture. It's the same testimony John gave, ultimately, in First yeah. John. You know, And so I, I haven't handled in the same way he did, because I didn't get to walk with Jesus physically when he was on earth. But I do have my own personal experience with him, yeah. and that matters. But the fundamental part of that experience that truly is life-changing is it's Jesus who came into my life. And you said you brought something up about John. Um, was it second service? Yeah. And it kind of became a part of the sermon, which for those who don't know, sometimes you just get things in yes. the middle and then suddenly you're like, oh, that was that should have been there at first service. Yes. But you're talking about John and specifically part of his testimony. Right. That kind of lines up with what we're talking about right now. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I said about John in the, in the I think the second and third service on Sunday was that um, when you read his testimony in first John, uh, what's distinctly absent from his testimony is him. Yeah. There's nothing in there about him. He doesn't say, hey, we testify to Jesus, and let me tell you about my life. Yeah. It's all about the Word. And he goes on, he says, three times he says, we proclaim to you that he is the Word of life. And so it's all about Christ. And so cool. John, you know, in his own testimony, and we believe that First John was written towards the end. It was one of the last books he wrote as an older man. So when you get to the end of your life, it's sort of like the most fundamental, most important things are what you talk about. And there's stories about him as an old man just saying, little children love one another. Like that was the content of his messages in his old age. And that is the content of First John. But he spends mm. the first portion on his testimony, which is Jesus. Yeah. And so on Sunday, um, we, we, we talked a lot about, and it's a, it's a very central point we need to make sure we hit here, that there's no such thing as a silent witness when it comes to being a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's no such thing. To be a witness is, is a willingness to talk and a willingness to tell the truth. And we already have the truth because Jesus is the truth. The gospel is the truth. The only question is, are we willing to talk about it? Yeah. Well, as soon as you said that about John, I even think of... All throughout Acts, right, there are those sermons that mm-hmm. they kind of give at key moments, right? Right. I think Peter is the first one, and then one of them is, um, gosh, the martyr. Uh, Stephen? Stephen, right. Yes. His, and every single one of them, their testimony is given, Yeah. and it's nothing about their story. It's not about their As soon as you said that, I was like, oh my gosh, that so lines up with all throughout the book of Acts. Yeah, you don't learn really anything about their own stories. In right. fact, the only thing you can learn about their stories is what you see in the Gospels about them. Right. But it, every time that they testify, it's all Christ. Or when Paul says it. I was chief of sinners. Right. And his, again, to point to these people saying, you guys are hostile towards Christ. I used to be hostile towards Christ. Right. Now look at me. Yeah. Right. You're right. It's for a purpose. It's for a purpose. And and like I said, I don't want to emphasize this. Your story matters. Telling your story matters. I'm not trying to de-emphasize that, but I'm trying to distinguish between your story and your testimony. 100%. Yeah, you did a great job with that. And you're right that there is no such thing as this silent witness. And your story was great. Mostly (laughs) because I imagine the shame of this poor guy. Oh, Oh, man. We've all been there. You know, we read a book, you know, we look look at a guy. And for you, it was because the, you know, the the thing you'd heard on the radio about the guy in the car. Right. And then you're like, oh, I was so wrong oh. um but the thing is like you said there's no there's no way to be a christian and right. just phone in right and tell other people to tell about jesus and so let me say this here one example that i didn't say this on sunday but we kind of fall into that silent witness thing when we don't want to tell our neighbors or friends specifically about jesus we say hey come to this event or come to hear my pastor talk about him come to church and now that is useful and that might be necessary but don't use it as a cop-out so to speak right. on your personal witness your testimony right. they need to hear it from you too so don't fall entirely on an event or a conference or the sunday right. sermon to tell people about jesus fact is, a lot of people won't even come to church. They won't come to the conference. They won't come to the event. And you might be the only Jesus they ever meet. Right. So you, it's on you to tell them about Christ. Yeah. So the thing then is those three action steps I ended at the end are really important. You know, the ultimately, be prepared. You're supposed to be ready to talk about Jesus anytime, anywhere. Yeah. And that quite literally isn't so hard to just simply say, Jesus saved me. Yeah. It's not hard to say. Yeah. You know, how did he save me? Well, he died on the cross. Well, why do you need to die on the cross? Well, because I'm a sinner. Yeah. That's not all that hard. And secondly, lean on the Holy Spirit. You know, it's a, that's so important because we think I've got to come up with the really good words. I've got to be so convincing, got to be so eloquent. Yeah. No, you don't. Yeah. The Spirit has to be eloquent. And guess what? He right. is. <laughs> well, and you're placed so much better. You know, I think yeah. the Holy Spirit can do amazing things on a Sunday. And I think there oh. are probably people that your story, that little bit that you shared or things right. that you shared, really spoke to them. Mm-hmm. And that's our hope as a as someone right. who preaches. That's a great thing. 
But how much more you, someone who is their neighbor, who's walking beside them, can speak into their lives in a way that we cannot. That's right. And can have the consistency. And so, yeah, like we have the Boise Harvest coming up. And that's a great event to invite someone. Yeah. But the harvesting doesn't end when there isn't a Boise Harvest. Yeah, I know too many people who who will bring them to something like that. And you should, because that is an incredible event to be able to capture souls. So for those of you that maybe have been looking for an opportunity to bring somebody to something that will introduce them to the gospel, by all means, but this is what I've seen that shouldn't be happening, is a refusal to talk to them about Jesus before and after that. Right. Right, it's get them to the event and then yeah, never and then talk bye-bye. about it again. Yeah. yeah, and if it didn't if it didn't work there, oh well. Right. No, it, it, you're their friend and you invited them, so there's there's some follow up that should happen. Right. Hey, what do you think about what you heard? I'd love to hear what your thoughts about Jesus and about the message and what you right. experienced. So I just feel like we need to take more ownership. And so this is something I talked about on Sunday, and it's critical: is the faithfulness. Hmm. Ultimately, as a witness, you're going to be evaluated based on one thing, is how faithful were you to your witness? And your faithfulness is purely were you willing to do it? Were you willing to talk about it? And I do believe that Jesus is going to have something to say to us if we die someday and stand before him and we never opened our mouth and talked about him to anybody. Yeah. I think that that's important. I think it's part hmm. of our faithfulness at the, you know, at the footsteps yeah. of the of heaven. Beth Beth has a great quote about that. She says, uh, and "I'm sure she got it from someone else, but I just always credit Beth because that's yeah. what I remember." She said, "God doesn't call us to be successful; He calls us to be obedient." That's right. And I think to your point, there's times where you're going to say something, and yeah. somebody's not going to have an outward right. You know, and being being someone who leads worship occasionally, sometimes the people that come up to you and say, "Wow, worship is really great this morning," are the ones that you're yeah. like, "You looked mad," yeah. you know. And <laughs> so we can't always tell from the outside. That's right. And maybe you're someone who's just moving them a little closer. Yeah. And that's you being faithful. Yeah, you're planting the seeds. I, yeah. you're just you're, you're. I think it says you know in, in Corinthians that you know one person watered, one person yeah. you know the, yeah. fed, and one person delivered, and you know, or reap the crop. And so the reality is you may be sowing, you may be reaping or something in between. But God brings the increase. God brings the increase. And so ultimately, I don't know what role I'm playing right now, but I'm certainly planting seeds. Right. And so you talking about Jesus, you don't know. And here's the old statement I used to hear, and I I live by this, is your job is to tell the story of Christ. Leave the results to the Holy Spirit. 100%. You know what I mean? Let him do the work. Well, we were singing a song um, this past couple Sundays ago, and it really hit me this idea of, um, he's the way maker. You know, yeah. he's always working. Mm-hmm. We just have to be faithful, yeah. but he's going to bring the people. All we have to do is be faithful in those moments that he gives us. Amen. Like you said, he sets us up. We just got to hit it. Yes. We just got to take a swing, you yes. know, yeah. and he honors that. So yeah. I think that's huge. Yeah. So, so my encouragement to, to folks who struggled to tell their testimony, to talk about Jesus, is simply to um, trust God you know, that he's called you into this and he's commissioned you. You have a story to tell and your story is just as powerful as every other Christian's because it's the story of Jesus. And and I'll tell you what, the name of Jesus and the story of Jesus doesn't fall flat. Hmm. It doesn't fall flat anywhere. And so anywhere you can tell that story to anyone is going to pay dividends ultimately in the kingdom of God. That's awesome. Well, as you're listening today, I hope you were encouraged. I thought Kent, you had a great encouraging message on Sunday that continues that as you're listening, if you come to Crossroads, be encouraged that your story makes a difference because you fit into this story that he is telling. And so we encourage you, invite people to the harvest, but also don't be afraid to just tell people about Jesus. And uh, we'll be here to encourage you. That's what it means to be a church, to maybe when things go well, encourage you. Maybe when things don't go so well, to encourage you. And so uh, we hope you enjoyed today, and we look forward to talking to you next week.